Well, hello, Line Podcast listeners. You know, for a short week, abbreviated by Victoria Day, a lot happened, huh? We had to squeeze a lot in there. And we do that in the podcast, although, as you can imagine, mostly what we're talking about is not even the Johnston report itself, but some of the surrounding issues that the report has touched on. And obviously, Jen gives us a bit of a heads up on what's coming up on Monday in Alberta. An election, of course, and I asked her to explain to me her view of the future of both uh, Rachel Notley and Daniel Smith, assuming each one of them loses. So you'll hear that. Uh, also, an appeal for the first time for anyone who wants to sponsor us, because we're holding our first event, and we're pretty excited about that. We're just getting into the planning on that front now. So all that and more on this, the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Hello, Jen Gerson. Uh, hello, Macaroni. So, anything oh, happened gonna, this week? Yeah, I'm going to tell you a funny story. Oh, my goodness. I went to an event, a client appreciation event for our lawyers, our lawyers held. Uh, and I got some some wine and some chicken wings. I was very happy. And while I was there, uh, I was introduced to someone who said, hey, are you with Matt Gurney's thing? You sure are. So there's a little bit of everyday sexism there for you. For the record, this is McGurney and Jen Gerson's thing. We are no, co-founders I, of the line. No, and like, let it never say I don't value you. You're you're pulling in a solid 85% of what I'm making here. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've basically maxed out. I've hit the <laughs> glass ceiling. It's fantastic. Pretty soon you'll be the CEO. It's going to be, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud wow. to see where you, how far you've come. Well, I'm proud of you too. Um, so, well, first of all, I will say this: you might have had to deal with a little everyday sexism. You also got wings. Oh no, I, I I massively got to take advantage of the fact that our lawyers are based in Calgary to take advantage of a really spectacular client appreciation night. Got we chicken have, wings. They had flatbread. They had. We some, have a lot of lawyers. It's true. More than one would think. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, and and they had a carving station. With cheesy potatoes. It was great. For for the record, everyone, we do operate on a 100% equal policy here. Whatever whatever I make, she makes. Whatever she makes, I make. We've Which even is funny settled because up you, you definitely do work more than me. Yeah, but you make us look good. So. No, there's no question. I bring the sparkle. Bring the, the sparkle, shine. Yeah. It's funny. The sparkle. That's a funny expression. I used that expression this week too on someone. I was using it extremely non-literally, but um. So there's two big things to talk about. Do you want to talk about Johnston or do you want to talk about Alberta first? We're talking about let's, both. Let's, yeah, let's let's start with Johnston. So I don't think I have anything left to say about the report beyond what is was in my column. The only couple of things that I would add to that were just not worth putting into a column that was already long enough because they were more like observations. So let me rattle off a couple of observations that uh, and then I have a few more substantive things to talk about about it. But purely in the realm of observations, I didn't talk at all about Johnston's press conference, except like I kind of mentioned in the column, oh, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I will be m more specific here. And I, I, anyone who thinks I'm being unfair to, to the special rapporteur here, because I think he is drawing a lot of unfair partisan criticism and I don't want to do that, but the press conference was a catastrophe. It was okay. a bad press conference. He, 
you and I have talked a lot about in different contexts how certain people are not adapting to the new normal of mm-hmm. being in a really nasty polarized era. Mm-hmm. Johnston. And one in which deference would be the uh, automatic assumption. Yeah. And uh, Johnston has written an, uh, an op-ed in the Globe and Mail, uh, which uh, came out on Friday. I would imagine it's for, uh, it was either in Friday's paper or it will be on Saturdays. I'm not sure. But anyway, I read mm-hmm. it online. It was fine. Like I don't think it's going to change any minds. But what it was was what should have been his press conference's opening statement, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for everybody for gathering here. Read the op-ed. Like it was a it was a fairly measured, concise summary of what he found, why he was asked to do it, and what should come next. If that had been the start of the press conference, things might have gone differently. But what instead we got was five minutes of a guy def- like, you know, like being kind of pissed off that people had questioned how much time Justin Trudeau had spent when they were at each other's respective cottages. Like it was, you said a minute ago that we live in an era that is not much for deference. And you're right. It's it's even less for deference when those looking for the deference are not reading the room. And the former governor general was not reading the room there. So that's one observation. The other observation I want to make, and I, I, I'll, I'll put this to you before I get to my more substantive ones. We've had the Johnson first report. We've had the press conference. Now we've had the op-ed in the Globe and Mail. Plus, he's met with the Toronto Star editorial board. He's done some interviews. He's, do, he's doing the normal things you do. What the fuck happens the next time the Globe, Global News, anybody else drops a bomb that just blows this thing wide open again? I don't know if the prime minister is eventually going to be able to avoid calling a public inquiry. Well, this, not- is, this, is, this is something that I was trying to make, a point I was trying to make in, in my column, is that once again, this is a classic example of being tactically smart, but strategically dumb. He calls a special reporter that comes in and tries to discredit the, all the media reports. He hides behind the reporter's essential eminence. Just a second. He hides behind the uh, eminent reporter's essential eminence in order to, to, to do this sort of grubby work. He manages to declare victory. We're vindicated. We're considering bringing Handong back in. Hey, maybe these leaks were malicious. Uh, he wins one day's news cycle, and then things fall to shit by day two. Tactically smart, strategically dumb, because you're right, nothing about this report actually gets to the root of the problem, solves anything, wins the liberals anything more than one win news cycle, and inevitably more is going to come out, more is going to drop. I, I mean, not literally inevitably, but that's my guess. Yeah. And I would because, also, and also say all of their all of the messaging to the intelligence services has been this government is going to continue to put its head in the sand yep. for a host of political and probably economic reasons. And so the only answer, if you take this real seriously, is to continue doing what you've been doing because it's yeah. the only thing that's gen- that's generating results for you. There's an interesting side debate going on right now, um, and I've I've been engaging in some of the brush fires on uh, online in it which is basically leaker, morally virtuous angel, or Pierre Polyev acolyte. Like, I don't think it matters. Like, I am, like, 
leakers, whistleblowers, whatever you want to call this guy, they often have agendas. What matters yeah. is not the agenda of the leaker, it's the veracity or otherwise of the information. Yeah. And I know that um, Johnson's report, and this is one thing I think he aired in, in his report, um, has given, I don't think it's given people the impression, but I think it's given people the ability to pretend they have the impression that Johnson's report has substantially or even in total reversed the narrative of the leaking here. Johnston claims, with particular reference to Han Dong, one of the allegations against Han Dong, that the allegations are false. Other times, he says they lack context. Others, he doesn't question at all. And, and nothing, nothing is explained about what Han Dong was doing, talking to the consul, which is now on the record as having Hansen happened. Yeah, happened. I just and why yeah, was no, he that's there? True, and why? And, and, think... and, and why did he not report that to the prime minister's office? So, like. I think, yeah, no, you're not wrong about that. But I, the point I was making was just a different one here. Johnston has declared like one specific report to be false. He has listed others as said they lack context and others he has not commented upon. Right. And in at least one instance, the government of Canada has substantively acknowledged the accuracy of the leak because we kicked a Chinese diplomat out. Yes. So there's a mixed bag here and i think that's been missed this is as always a more nuanced situation than anyone screaming at each other on the internet wants to admit it's complicated it's ugly it's messy there was there was something interesting uh that kind of came out of the conversation it was uh, thomas juno uh, academic uh, intelligence expert one of the relatively few genuine intelligence experts we probably have in this country mm -hmm. uh who, who i believe has written for us before as well um he had an interesting comment and I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna dump on him here this is no way a criticism because i substantively agree with the comment but i've been thinking about it and i think i want to tinker with his semantics so juno had pointed out that we live in a country that is sort of because of our geopolitical environment, we have not had to prioritize national security considerations. Yeah, okay. And that's something probably I've written a billion times in my columns over the last 15 years. It, it's it's an accepted truism. I don't even go so far as to say it's true. But I've been thinking about it this week. I want to bounce an idea off you here. And okay. I, I inflicted this on my radio show listeners a few days ago I was as I was kind of thinking the idea out loud. I think we're characterizing that wrong okay because i like i think the analysis is correct we don't we like we have been spared the necessity of having a really active national security cadre in our country because we don't have natural predators in the neighborhood that's true but i think when we characterize the problem as therefore the sort of a lack of expertise i dropped my pen as uh, there's a, there's a lack of expertise yeah, but one of the things is that I think this has gotten to the point, in fact, where we have an almost hostility to it. Because, as I said on my radio show, we also, as, as a country, probably don't have a ton of botanists or bicycle mechanics or amateur astronomers or pastry chefs. But if you were to make that point, like if, if, if as a matter of national purpose, we decided, decided we needed more astronomers or botanists or chefs, I don't think that would be controversial. But 
anyone over the last 15, 20, 30 years who's been saying, we need more national security types, we need more intelligence types, we need more military types, kind of everything that fits broadly under the umbrella of national security. People look at you and go, what are you, fucking American? Botany, pastry cooking, astronomy, don't trigger our anti-Americanism in the same way that national security conversations do. Is it is it anti-Americanism or or a sense of sort of complacency and peacenickiness that has entrenched that has ingrained itself into the national character? I don't think it's anti-Americanism in the sense of like Yankee go home, but I think it's reflexively anti-Americanism in the same way that we can't talk about healthcare in this country. It's because, well, they do it one way and therefore we shall do it the other. The I, Americans I really a, care I, about this stuff, therefore we won't. To care well, about I, it is to be American. I don't I don't know if it's an anti-Americanism. I think it's actually just naivete. I think that that most of us are are insulated, comfortable, and complacent. And we don't so we choose to live in the concept of the world that is that. And we don't want to have to live in a different kind of world and if all of a sudden you have to start hiring scary people and doing scary things and talking about scary and scenarios talking about scary you know. scenarios then your 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 illusions of safety trust and deference get punctured pretty quick right and i just don't think anybody here wants to do that and we don't have to so why do we do that we kind of have um i don't know there's probably some literary equivalent where we all kind of have the the luxury of living in lotus land and as long as we have the luxury of living living in lotus land, nobody wants to hear from the person who's like, maybe these flowers are not great. Well, I mean, imagine how weird people would have looked at someone at like first class dining hall on the Titanic on April 11th if they were like, you know, I was counting the lifeboats and I don't think there's enough. Yeah, that's right. That's it's right. Like, Everybody's having a nice what? time. We're having, we're having dinner. We're having dinner. What are you doing? Like, the food's lovely. The music's great. Like, what is your problem? Why are you, yeah, like what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I'm, so your, your position here would have been mine five days ago. Okay. Now I'm, I don't know. Like this is like, like I said, I'm still thinking this one out. Okay. I I'm think, open to the anti-American, I open the anti-American thing, except I don't, I don't read that so much. I, healthcare debate is a bit of a distinction because i mean we've been inundated with all these terrible stories of people getting heart attacks and then having to suffer for, suffer from bankruptcy afterwards like i think it's a very specific thing i think that that canada just likes the idea of the world being what we want it to be and I so think, therefore i think it's i think it's actually more deeply rooted than that i just think there's like there's often been a sense in canada that that the, what the Americans do with their national security is weird and they should well, stop it is weird. and be more like us. Whereas we've never really thought that we can be like us because they do the weird thing. Right. And the more we're going to have to start doing stuff that the Americans do. And I'm not talking about like invading the Middle East. Like I'm just talking about like, we're probably gonna need some spies. We're probably gonna need to invest a lot more in surveillance. We're gonna we're need- probably going to need to start beefing up our security in the Arctic. You know what yeah. I mean? But to do that is an admission that those weirdos that we look down on because we're smug might have had a point. I, I think it's no, I think it's actually deep in that. It's like we don't want to spend money on something that is unpleasant to think about and feels very remote from our the realities of our world. 
feels very remote from our peaceful, happy little enclave in the universe. For now. And we're not going to change our minds on that until all of a sudden it becomes impossible to do otherwise. I'm going to keep mulling this over. Um, yeah. You could be right. Like, this is still sort of like a proto-thesis for me. I'm still thinking yeah. it out. I just think, like, if the Johnston report had come out and it had been like, and it recommended we need to dramatically increase our number of botanists, you'd be like, oh, all right, well, we should probably get some more botanists. In the same way that saying we need more spies, ships, drones would have a very different reaction because Canadians don't think that's the kind of thing Canada does. Our peacekeeper delusions, right? Honest brokers. Yeah. yeah. There's so and many the, people who are living in the peacekeeper delusion space. The other point I wanted to make about Johnston, and again, it's a little bit adjacent to Johnston. It's not really about the report or anything. Um, you and I live in a country that is effectively a transparency desert, Right. Oh, people don't actually understand this. I've tried to have conversations with people who think that America is much, much worse than us. Eyes glaze over, no one cares. And I'm like, no, no, America is 1,000 times better than us on every transparency measure, and it's not close. No, and I mean, yeah, but also, like, I don't think the Americans are an outlier as to the good as much as we are an outlier to the bad. Most jurisdictions I've ever had any reason to request data from have been way better than Canada it's it's astonishing how poor almost every level of government is well mitch heimple argued this in his column on thursday right like the default the default assumption of canadian public policy particularly defense policy is you don't have a right to know that stop asking peasant i mean i mean while made this point again and every every canadian journalist who's worked for any length of time will tell you this and that is if i have a choice between calling up an american and calling up a canadian on a story i will call the american every single goddamn time because if I call the Americans and be like, hey, can I talk to that FBI agent who worked on that case about cross-border drug smuggling? They'll be like, yeah, sure. We can get him on the phone at uh, two o'clock this afternoon. And he'll give you totally candid, in-depth conversation about everything. Great story. Wonderful. Love you. Send you flowers. The, the, the equivalent would be, okay, well, please send an email request to the RCMP media at rcmp.ca. We'll forward it to you. And it's possible that we might be able to get an anodyne email statement back to you within the next week. I've gotten to the point where I just reply to the statements going, thank you very much for this. Would you like to try that again and actually answer the questions and we can just skip the boilerplate bullshit you just gave me? And I I don't often get response. I I just, I'm too fucking old and tired to play nice. It's, It's actually insane. It's like, I, I can't even begin to describe how awful it is here. The reason everything, I bring... From courts, police, uh, you know, um, obscure departments of the, of, even if you're trying to write something good about it, like, hey, yeah. I, I, I've i heard that the federal government's working on this really cool program in fisheries where they're trying to like bring back cod stocks. Could you get me like the lead scientist on that? That would be amazing. They're like, sure, please put in your request and blah, 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 blah. And maybe six months later, some completely over-rehearsed bot of a scientist will come back to you after all the life and passion has been sucked out of him. It, it, you can't, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's before we get into the FOIP stuff. That's just like the, the daily stuff's awful. When I have a good media experience, I want to hit my knees in prayers of gratitude. 
just like when someone gets back to me quickly with the requested information, what you normally get is ignored. And then you get an email the next day going, Hey, we're working on this. What's your deadline? It's like yesterday, asshole. I told you that it was right. My first fucking email. After the first Marshall Smith interview, we did that big Q and a, I put in a request to the BC government equivalent. And I said, Hey, look, we just did this thing for Marshall Smith. Yeah, I remember you CC'd me. Yeah. I was like, you know, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. They'll look back to us in months from now and they'll ask if we're still interested. It's literally been months and that's fine. I mean, they don't want to respond. That's fine. Oh no, they'll get back to us months from now and they'll be like, hey, is this still a thing? Oh, they've already done that. They've already done that. Do you still want to do this email? And I said, yes, yes, I do. So we've already done the stage one dysfunction. Yeah. Okay. Then then it's possible they're going to ignore us because they always do the stage one dysfunction. Now we'll see if they do stage two. Yeah. The reason I bring this up in in reference to Johnston between the Public Order Emergency Commission and even what relatively little we got in the Johnson report, we are getting almost unheard of looks behind the curtain of federal governance in this country. And part of the reason why maybe they're just so secretive is because they're bluntly so incompetent. They can't let us see behind the curtain because then we're going to realize that it's just a man pulling strings pretending to be the wizard. Like, maybe that's just it. No, the it's man died the- a long time ago. There's just like a mummified husk. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's it. Like, I don't, maybe they're not necessarily corrupt, but they're just so utterly overwhelmed. Their systems have all atrophied to such an extent that they're just not competent. They can't technically be competent anymore. And they know that if they're actually as transparent about that fact as as they would be in an American jurisdiction, any American jurisdiction, we'd riot. Or we'd vote them out because the Americans have more direct democracy that way often than we do. Yeah, look, I mean, POEC uh, was more in-depth obviously um full public inquiry but even what we got in like five in in the five relevant pages of the johnson report roughly pages say 17 18 to about 22 23 it is look i'm not going to narrate my column here i don't need to repeat it at length exact same problem it is a national security apparatus in this country that doesn't know what it's doing doesn't know how to do probably doesn't know what it wants to do doesn't know how to do it even if they did and probably doesn't know how to figure it out and you know, I've been the last couple of days. I've been hearing from from um, a, a select number of current or former public servants. I'll put it that way, and they all want to explain to me the complexity of the system and the nuances of it, and how I just don't understand because I've never been there. And my stock response is, guys, how how long into your career were you when failure became normalized to the point where? you you have you don't believe in in any meaningful way that better is possible there is no shortage of bureaucrats in this country who want to explain to me why the dysfunction is unavoidable natural inherent and there are there are exceptions and god i love them um but I'd have to, I don't have my, I mean, I'd be one of my binders next to me. Binders, just like how we maybe that's the dispatch. Maybe that's, but maybe that's the dispatch. You responding to the, to the bureaucrats in your DMs. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was reading POEC, like a fairly small part of like the entire massive public order emergency commission report was about the federal government response. But remember I wrote that column in February, basically mm-hmm. saying like, any semi-competent logistics manager at a mid-sized Canadian firm could overthrow the Canadian government. Yep. 
That's right. Johnston's report, like the five or six pages that are relevant, are echoing exactly that. Yep. And you know, lest our friends in the national security sector feel <laughs> uh, picked on here, think of all like, like we can't build trains like or subways and the healthcare systems like an omni clusterfuck and like it's failure has been normalized i think i i think i told you recently and that's, I need to be, that's the line failure's been normalized i think i need to be vague about this because the event i was at was um it was on background but just listening to bureaucrats talking about kind of like their phase one effort and their phase two effort and phase one was all internal behind the scenes stuff and phase two was the forward facing public like public interacting stuff and they were just talking about how phase one had been accomplished, but there'd been real implementation challenges with phase two. And there was sort of this sense in the room that like, well, hey guys, great work on phase one. Half marks, we're halfway there. Whereas my perspective as the outsider is, if the public facing part of this is a failure, the effort has failed. Because like, you know, the operation was a complete success, but the patient died. It's like, um, and, and I, I kind of, I tried to bring this up and I got some weird looks. Like, That's because, the again, this goes back to the other column I was, I was writing about where that, that this aligns with. And that is, you have people who lionize inputs, but not outputs. Yep. You have people who talk about their job as being a selection of what goes into the sausage but they're never measuring or looking at the actual outlet, output of, of, of the of the efforts of their work. They're not measuring or judging their sense of failure according to outcomes. It's not relevant to their career trajectories. That's right. The, That's their right. jobs are administering inputs. Inputs. I, I couldn't remember. I, I, I did my job because I met the KPI standard of hiring X number of people or, or acquiring this much, this much information. Well, I spent the or, budget. I like spent in, the budget. In, yeah, like the the Parliament of Canada allotted me X numbers of dollars this year, and I spent them. And I spent them. Yeah, I did my job. Um, you know, but but the patient died. I couldn't remember who this was, and I've been racking my brain for a couple of days trying to think about it. You might remember this, and if not, I'm going to throw myself upon uh, the listeners and the viewers here. Somebody said, and I don't remember who it was. And I, it's frustrating because I don't remember if it was like someone giving a TED talk or if it was like something I heard at a bar. If I heard it at a bar, I'm, the listeners probably aren't going to help me out at this. But someone is basically saying, like, when I hire you onto my team, you need to tell me what's broken in 60 days. Because that's your window of opportunity. That is when you are useful as an outsider to be like, why are you doing this? This is really stupid because after 60 days, you're showing up every day. You're doing the stupid thing. You're punching the clock and you're getting your paycheck. And, you, and you're, you've now normalized into the group mind. There is a very narrow window of opportunity where someone is still an outsider who can see the ways in which a system is broken. Right. And the POEC report was showing us ways that our systems are broken. And the Johnson report differently and more briefly showing us the way things are broken and there is nothing but current and former civil servants trying to explain to me how i'm not how i'm how i don't get the nuance here guys 
you're too immersed in this. I don't pretend to know how the intricacies of all these systems work. There's undoubtedly reams of stuff I've never even heard of here, but I can still look at a system that is not producing the desired outcome and go, well, that's fucked. You've normalized failure. You've no, you, you, you're so ingratiated into the group mind that you can't step back from this and realize that the procedures and systems you've created are dysfunctional. I worked for this company years ago and this is before before I was in, in media, but when I was trying to get into media, I don't want to throw anybody out of the bus, so I'll be vague. But I used to send my friends like almost real-time updates by email of what I was doing at my job because what I was doing at my job was just insane. Like it was a weirdly run environment. Um, But it didn't take me long before I would just kind of show up in the morning, make my big thermos of tea throw my coat over the chair and start doing all the stupid shit. <laughs> and then, yeah, Hey, all right, lunchtime. <laughs> and, then, and then come back and I'll do all the afternoon stupid shit. And nobody got hurt. Everybody got paid. Everybody went home. And eventually it drove me. It was starting to drive me out of my mind because I didn't want to spend my life like ticking stupid boxes in a, in a meaningless process chart. But yeah. Um, when you point out that a system that produces a like does not produce the desired outcome has failed, they look at you weird, and it's it's a combination of like surprise and resentment. Don't you know how hard I'm working? Don't you know how hard I'm trying? Well, be, or what be we the, were talking about earlier. Right? That like, should be the Canadian national anthem. A lot of people work very hard on this, Matt. You remember years ago when we, we worked really hard. Well, no, you're barely joking because were I'm not you joking. The, were you one of the posties who yes. got the complaint emails yes. from CBC Comedy? Yes. All right, tell that a bunch story. of us. Okay, so a bunch of us were because we're monsters. We're bad people. Um, excuse my son is flushing the toilet. Uh, a lot of us posties were just making fun of how bad CBC Comedy was on Twitter, and we were just being shitheads. Like, this sucks. And a bunch of us got these. You weren't being personally crass or anything. No, you were no, no, no. We were, we were making fun of the content. We weren't naming the, the authors or anything like that. We were just like, this is just, this isn't funny. It's just, we were making more fun of the jokes than the jokes were funny. And uh, a bunch of us got this email from one of the producers, I think, basically saying, you know, a lot of us have been trying really hard. So maybe just think about that next time you were made, you, you, you're you you're teasing us at CBC Comedy. It literally was that. And I'm like, that right there is Canada in a nutshell. I, I've said my piece. Um, do you want to walk me through whatever the frig's happening in Alberta? Yeah, I'm not even paying attention to the polls, bluntly, because I have no idea. Okay, so I made no predictions. No predictions. Um, making predictions about Alberta elections a mugs game, but Look, the polls and, seem and also, to be improving for the Conservatives. Sure, which wouldn't surprise me. Um, also, it's 50-50. 50% of the time the polls are spot on and 50% of the time they're not. So who knows what to make of it? I, I don't. Um, also, I think just final decision-making is not going to happen until basically this weekend for, for a lot of undecided voters. Can I, oh, let me ask you this question then. And this mm -hmm. is me again as an outsider. I'm going to ask you the same question twice, but I'm going to reverse the hypothesis. Okay. What happens to Rachel Notley and the NDP if Smith wins? Uh, well, she'll, it, 
probably a not terribly dissimilar thing that would happen to her even if she won and that is she has to start building the infrastructure of that party and creating a successor so i think she has to do that whether or not she wins or loses because you know and i don't mean to be this disrespectful to rachel Notley, but i think her she's kind of reaching the point in her career where she could be aging into the elder statesperson role for this party um so I think she would have to start mentoring Shannon Phillips or someone like that to take over and 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 build their profile while doing a lot of things that they haven't done. I mean, the NDP actually is very well funded. They, they, they've out fundraised the UCP almost every quarter for years now. They've got tons of, 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 of resources to be running a very competitive race. But from my understanding, their ground game is pretty limited. Their volunteer lists aren't what they should be. They've basically run an election almost totally on air war and haven't really devoted the amount of time and energy they've needed to on just the dirt, ugly, get voters out to the polls, identify your support, get your voters out to the polls, which is where most elections are won and lost. And where the what are they spending their money on? Like if they've got all it's, this it's, money. It's, it's it's a lot of ads. They've, they've done a lot of air work is, is essentially where I think they're spending all their ads. And honestly, I mean, considering the amount of time that they've had, they could have been running full tilt uh, six months ago and they really weren't. And that was always really weird. Um, I don't think they've run a particularly strong campaign. And I think Notley will probably not be leader if, if for much longer if she if she uh, doesn't win this campaign. But that being said, I think she probably, I don't, I, I have a hard time imagining she would contest another election anyway, just because I think she's hitting that hit point in her career where she's just kind of aging out of this. That's my, my sense, honestly. Um, I don't know how many fights she's got left in her. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she she's like maybe she's willing to go to the wall until she's like Hazel McCallion style, right? Like good good for her if so. But I think that there's there's deeper systemic stuff that need to be put in place to take the NDP out from being Rachel Notley's party because Rachel Notley is personally very popular and making it a sustainable, um, competitive alternative to the UCP in a in a much longer term way. And I think that that's the work she would need to be devoting herself to and, and succession planning should be part of that work. But I think that that's the same answer either way for them. Let's flip um, it then. What happens to the UCP and Daniel Smith if Notley wins? Basically, it's the same answer. And that is Daniel Smith's probably going to be facing a leadership election <laughs> within two years because the conservative side of this province are a bunch of bitches who love drama. Um, unless she wins just a strong blowout majority, which at this point, I don't see the polls as making possible. She is going to have a struggle to deliver what the most ardent and extreme supporters who put her in power want and expect from her. And sooner or later, they're going to start carping. She's going to start continue to make gaffes. She's going to become unpopular. I mean, the usual things are going to happen and she's going to face a leadership how many do you need Challenge. to win? Is it 45 out of 87? E you need 40, 44 and a speaker. It's, yeah, it's 44 and a speaker. That's right. So if she gets the 45, is she safe in her career? Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. But I don't think that she would be safe in her career if she got 50. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I was going to save this for, for my Globe column and come out of this, but I had a really interesting conversation actually last night with... Um, somebody in the UCP ranks and and trying to talk to them about oh, who are you going to vote for? And I was like, well, you know, I got to vote for my team sort of thing. I'm like, it's like but you're not, you're clearly physically uncomfortable with Daniel Smith. He's like, no, no, I think she's not, she's not right. And I'm like, okay. And what about her policies? And he's like, no, no, I, I would agree with you that 
cutting to income taxes and putting the tax referendum that's terrible policy like I totally agree with you that's insane okay and so what are you voting for so what are you voting for and, and he's like well you don't understand you know she'll be gone in 18 months I was like okay and this is someone who is very much from the red Tory side the, the, the PC side not from the far right side his logic was, well, the, the David Parker take back Alberta people, they'll take her out within 18 months and then we can put someone new in there. And I'm like, okay. And who? Who are you going to put in there? The answer was, well, Travis Taves, someone like that. I'm like, Travis Taves, who didn't win the last election, couldn't marshal enough support to do that against not even a particularly very competitive race, by the way. Rebecca Schultz, oh, what did she come in? Like fifth, sixth? Like you, your people didn't come out for her then. Oh, well, you know, maybe Jason Kenny will come back. Jason Kenny, that's gone real well. Does anyone know where he is? Like, what happened to him? I think he's doing boards and stuff like that. I still pin my hopes on him becoming a monk. I think that would be a great answer for him. But no boards. He's going to make money on boards, I think. But, you know, I just tried to, like, I couldn't wrap my head around his logic because I'm like, just so that we're clear, as as my husband put it to me yesterday, to quote Lenin, the army has voted with its feet. All of these sort of PC people who are still, you know, plugging their sense of identity to the existing UCP don't seem to understand that they've lost their party. There's not enough of them. They're not interested or engaged enough to put a sensible, quote unquote, candidate in Smith's replacement. So if the Take Back Alberta guys do ouster, which I think is pretty likely just because of the drama of that team, the incentives are all going to push them towards someone just as nuts. Or nutser. Or nutser. Like, you know, like there's no, they're now riding the dragon, right? And there's, and there's no, there actually isn't a a politically powerful enough centrist faction within that party to hold. It's not, it's not there anymore. They've lost the party. This is not their father's PC party anymore. And you can see a lot of the people who who can't quite fathom that can't quite wrap their head around that they're not there yet they're not they don't quite get it yet and remember a few weeks ago we were talking about um ken bosenkool had written a column for us he actually wrote another mm-hmm. one for us but he'd mm-hmm. written one for us oh, i guess about a month ago um mm-hmm. and one of the uh, the points i made in our on our podcast at the time was that um John Michael McGrath, uh, my colleague at TVO here in Toronto, had basically read the column and quote tweeted it and just basically said, Ken's side lost. Yeah. And as I said in 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 the podcast when I was talking about this, my response was very similar to McGrath's, except I kind of viewed it differently. Whereas I said, I described it to you as I'm further along in the grieving process than Ken is. Ken yeah. hadn't gotten to the acceptance stage yet. Yep. Um, the person you were talking to last night, had I, or whenever it was, um, I probably would have had the same response to that person as I had reading Ken's column, which is, I think I mostly agree with you. Like, I think like probably like my politics and your politics are probably aligned on this, but we lost. You know, we, guy like guys like us with our worldview were the ascendant faction within the within conservative politics in this country for a good long run. But we're not. Mm-hmm. And I suspect we will be again, but no mm-hmm. time soon. Like it's the other guys get a turn for a while. Um mm-hmm. and either through victory or failure, 
this is going to have to just work its way out. I was talking in a in a different context, very, very similar to this, um, about uh, uh, kind of Polyev because uh, someone was commenting on uh, his refusal to take the, uh, the the classified briefing. You and I actually were, were uh, taking pot shots at each other on Twitter about this. I think you should take the briefing because I think leaders show up. And I think if you can't figure out a way to criticize the government because Trudeau is like Jedi mind tricked you into a secrecy oath, then you're an idiot. But I still think, and I'm trying, I'm trying to tell people this, like it's like I'm getting tired of having to explain to people just because somebody's going to make bad policy doesn't mean it's fantastic politics. And I think Polyev, Smith, others are better attuned to where the national mood is. Then a lot of these people, whether it's David Johnston or this person, old, old guard, Alberta Tory you were talking to, I don't think people have noticed the change. And no, they... and also the, 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 there's a sort of a degree of sort of intellectual self-dealing that's happening where they're just like, well, yes, everything about what's happening around me is crazy, but I can justify this because she'll be gone in two years. So it'll be fine. It'll be fine, right? Now, is that a justification to stay sane or a justification to vote for the party? It's a justification to stay with the party. Uh, or maybe both. Maybe both. But like that's, and that's, if the UCP win, I think that's, that's probably what did it. it. It would be enough of those people said, well, you know, okay, I disagree with everything that's happening here, but they'll probably just kick her out soon anyway. So it won't matter. Consequences are no. So I can vote realizing... for it and then disavow any responsibility for it because, hey, exactly. I only voted for her because I figured she was I going out. I figured she was going out. Oh, that's exactly what the logic and the rationale that's happening. And I think that that is absolutely idiotic and insane because you've already established all the incentives are going to lead you further down this particular down this particular spiral. And what replaces her will not be better because the, the incentives are aligned against it especially if she wins, right? The only way that the party recovers itself is if she loses and is kicked out. And basically the electorate rejects this. But yeah, if they win, they're emboldened in victory. If they lose, the conclusion is they weren't crazy enough. That's right. So the next person will really go nuts. Yep, that's right. So look, the, the the only if you actually were trying to recreate some version, some modern version of like the, the 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 sensible centrist PC party, couldn't do it. There's no appetite for it. Well, maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. But I mean, Alberta is a bit of a different space. But you're certainly not going to do it after Daniel Smith eats out a win. Yeah. Oh, you know, but people will try if she loses. But what they're going to find out is that they're going to raise tens and tens of dollars but someone's gonna show up in a cowboy hat somewhere and go we're gonna fucking take the province back it's going yeah. the no, but I'm saying always, the only the only the energy the, always goes to the fringe yeah but that hasn't always been the case i mean the the, 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 PC, the pc party managed to keep itself afloat for 44 years that's a but the, their track record is pretty impressive and they have a long a high degree of brand loyalty among pretty sensible albertans who never really viewed them as terribly ideological, but for the most part, pretty good governors. Why is Smith running so, the party? Because the Wild Rose won. Yeah. The Wild Rose won the Civil War. That's what I'm saying. That's the energy happened. went to the fringe. So anyway, the, the only way the only way that those people win it back, and I, I don't think right, I don't think that they could win it back right now because I just don't think they have the energy and momentum for them. But the only way that could happen is if the party loses. 
Mm. And a lot of these conservatives are forced to go back into the, basically spend a little bit of time in the wilderness, come to terms with why they lost, come to terms with the fact the electorate is not with them on the crazy right stuff and reforms itself from within. But if they win, then all the incentives point toward crazy and that's where it's going to go. Won't happen. And I'm going to tell you why it won't happen. Conservatives in defeat will not go back to the writings and think long and hard. They're going to go back to their writings and disappear into their social media echo chambers. And they're going to hang out in church basements and legion halls with people who are in those same echo chambers. And they're going to have no problem raising money and getting... And as long as the Alberta electorate continues to reject that as a whole, it's a losing strategy for them. Sooner or later, they're going to want to win again. Yeah, so, no, I agree with that, but it's going to be later. Maybe, yes. But I'm saying as long as they continue to win with the crazy, they'll continue to be crazy because that's where the incentives lie. Yeah, and then even when they start to lose with the crazy, they're going to have to lose repeatedly with the crazy. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, the, the NDP map we all know is very hard. Yeah. Um, it's it's a difficult win for them. And I think they've, on their side, I don't I don't laud their campaign. I think they've run, run a very weak campaign. I think the lack of sort of organization that I see from the NDP, the lack of volunteerism, the lack of just being present has been has been really striking to me. And also, it's not exactly like Rachel Notley's come out with some really great visionary policy, right? She, has, she hasn't. like the, the, policy they've, the policies that have been proposed on both sides have been pretty weak. So in the absence yeah. of that, people are going to default to the conservative because that's going to be where the psychological default is. Yeah, that's where the and center of gravity is. That's where the center of gravity is. They've got the easier map. And the people who are wary about Daniel Smith and Ann Conservative are going to do exactly what that dude said. And that says, well, yeah, I disagree with everything, but you know what? I can justify this because they'll just, the, the crazies will kick around eventually. This is one of those lessons where no matter how many time it punches us in the face, people are always surprised by it. Mm -hmm. In After a political civil war, the losers make their peace with the new regime. Few of them don't. They leave, they go to the private sector, or they go form some splinter party that never gets anywhere. But mo most of the people, most of the time, will make their peace with the new boss because they want to win. You know, um, you know, Aaron O'Toole had a total lock on the Conservative Party until he didn't. Mm -hmm. And all those O'Tooleites, the one third of the caucus, roughly, that voted against the Reform Act effort to purge him, heard from them lately? They all yeah. fell in line. Yes. They always do. Yes, and you got you to gotta manage by fact, right? Like... So what do we what do, what do we want my dispatch to be here? Because I don't want to predict the outcome. Like I really no, overtly don't. don't predict the outcome because that never yeah because that well doesn't go well in Alberta. Um, um, you know what? Honestly, I don't know, but I'm going to encourage you to sleep on that and just yeah, I'll sleep on it and think what I want to say. And also, I don't know if we want. Like I said, it sounds like our dispatch is going to be thin. It probably the Alberta stuff's going to need to be folded into the dispatch, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I mean. What the outcome, look, the, the, the part of me that is an absolute chaos demon and lives and thrives on chaos energy, which is 90% of me at this point, mm -hmm. just sheer atavistic, bring me the drama. Um, no, I'm hoping for like, it's going to be like 43-43. Um, like one like, weirdo independent? With one weirdo independent, like Raj Sherman isn't the independent because that would be the absolute great one. Also, we said something super. Well, like one person has to resign instantaneously because of like 
a D DWI or something so that you end up with a perfectly balanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Already upward alert because we, we said something wrong and we're going to get called on it. So it's eighty-seven members. So what? So it's forty-four to the majority, right? Yeah, we were but right. Forty-four yeah, plus a 40, speaker. No, no, forty-four is the majority. So the speaker's got to come out of the forty-four if it's forty-four. Yes, but that's why you want 45, because then yes, you get your right. speaker and yes, your 44 right. to outgun the remaining Correct. options. Yes, like but my, my, my good answer here is like 44, 43, plus they got to lose one of the speaker. And then like Raj Sherman winds up being the weirdo and who actually decides the balance of power. Like that's the, that's the answer I want. I want chief pure cow. Being attacked. Oh, I think I am because when we fighting. paused the recording, I showed him one of my son's big Nerf guns. So I think he's yeah. attacking now. Okay. Uh, a couple quick things to mention here, then we'll wrap this up before your, okay. your son goes Jamie. totally bonkers. J J Jamie, mommy is almost finished. Okay, almost done, buddy. We're almost, almost done. Almost done. You need to get let, let mommy finish her thing. Okay, mommy's working. We wanted. Um... Do you have anything to say about the Alberta election, sweetie? Yeah, that's a good answer. That's, That's an excellent answer. Uh, right. We wanted to make a point of thanking here, and we will in writing as well, um, uh, Gordon Gibson, uh, who recently made a, a generous donation to the line, um, and he actually did it to sponsor um, a series of people to get year-long subscriptions. It was, it was a wonderful idea. We did not seek this out. Um, he contacted us and offered us um, uh, the opportunity to provide year-long subscriptions at uh, full freight for... Uh, for a, a lot of people and we wanted to just make a point explicitly of saying thank you um because that that obviously was was very flattering for us and it's meaningful for us it helps us grow our business so we wanted to offer our our uh thank you to to, to mr gibson for that and we also wanted to, to just say um we are hosting our first live in-person event there's still a lot of logistics uh to figure out about this uh, we're looking to do it in the fall. Uh, we'll be doing it in Toronto. We're hoping to go uh, and do more of them, but Toronto is going to be our inaugural, so to speak, where we try to uh, learn the ropes a little bit. We've been encouraged to find sponsors for this. We have never sought or accepted any sponsorship or advertising. The only contributions in kind that the line has ever accepted has been professional services, uh, people who have assisted us uh, at a discounted rate or even donated their time uh, to help us with legal matters, accounting matters, getting incorporated, things like that. We, we've had a ton of support for people who've believed in us uh, and supported our vision here. But in terms of an actual financial consideration, we never have before. So we are now purely as an event sponsor for uh, our first event, which we hope will be in Toronto in the fall. Make us an offer, folks. Uh, no, we actually don't know if we can make a, a profit on these events. Like, period. We don't. We don't. We're so new to this. We don't know how many people will come out to it. We don't know if we can make money off of it. So, looking, we're looking for potentially sponsors to help offset the cost of hosting the event, having people over, seeing if we can actually make cash on it, if it's worthwhile for us to do. Uh, so, if you have been in a position where you thought, "Hey, you know, we really like the line, would like an opportunity to throw some money at you." This would be a great way to do it. I mean, even relatively small amounts of money, we would be totally uh, great with talking with you about um, if that's something. Four dollars. Well, it would have, probably have to be more than four dollars. But hey, come on, four but bucks like, is four we're, we're not we're, we're we're not being extravagant in our ambitions here. Let's just put it that way. We're being pretty conservative in our ambitions here. So I mean, and you know, this is just hey, if you're a sponsor, if you're looking for 
some kind of recognition event. Maybe you want to sponsor some drinks, you know, at the event, the, we would let it be known that, hey, this dude over here or this lady over here, she, she paid for a round of drinks for you, you know, like stuff like that. If that interests you, please just send us an email and let us know. Well, uh, on the, and I think obviously we'll we'll mention that in the dispatch. And as more as we do firm up, I got to read over that contract. I got to sign the damn thing. Um, yes, please do. Normally, I'm the one who's bad at signing contracts. It's been a busy week. Um, <laughs> I don't look. I knew the Johnson report was coming out. I don't know why it caught me so flat-footed, but it did. That's it. I, I think I um, this was great. By the way, I thought that was really really good. Thank you. Yeah. No, it was my headline where I call it really depressing. I was. That was not tongue in cheek. Like that report was a really, you know, it's funny because here we are. I don't, look, I'm not going to extend the podcast here. We're trying to wrap it up. I know that people have been saying the Johnston report is a whitewash or it's an exoneration of the liberals. Anyone who's concluding that hasn't read past like the first five paragraphs. If you get into the meat of that report, what you were presented with is just an astonishingly bleak portrait of canadian governance in action it's like it's bad and it's upsetting but that's why it's a whitewash because that is being used as an excuse that's being what's being used to exonerate them the Uh, fact that johnson may or may not be aware that he's presenting as bleak a picture as he is i don't think uh, excuses that i said to you before we started rolling i think maybe i just speak laurentian better than some people it's possible i mean you are a monster so it's like there is almost no like i'm unusual for my willingness to just call a spade a spade and canadians are very polite equivocating people it's part of our charm but i think it's also a real problem and johnston is extremely short i would even say extraordinarily polite in describing these catastrophically embarrassing failures but read the report, like strip away the um, the refined, dignified persona of the man telling us how fucked we are. And what you're left with is how fucked we are. I think one of the things that we have always said to people, the line is we will not always be right. We'll make mistakes. We'll draw the wrong conclusions, but we won't lie to you. And I think that has to include a degree of bluntness um if if only to counteract the prevailing canadian mannerisms here and it's funny it's amazing how often i get told how refreshing it is like when i go on like a radio interview or something and i i'm not hamming it up it's just kind of like matt what's your read of the report my repeat read of the report is that we've got major problems that we aren't fixing people are like wow i'm just saying it like it is like Americans are better at this than we are. Americans see failure and they call it failure. Remember, remember what the liberals had a few years ago? I don't mean this in a partisan way, but I thought it wasn't like it wasn't a liberal problem. It was a perfectly Canadian problem where like the liberals in their first mandate came out with like a report card and they described like failures as underway with challenges. Like that was the you I don't you know how hard we're trying. Underway with challenges. Real. Lots of people have put a lot of effort into this. You should think twice about criticizing it. I will write the Johnston blurbs. Why don't you just blurbs. be nice? Just I be will, nice. I, We're I trying. Write, 
we're trying, trying so hard. I can't do just I will write the Johnson blurbs, but can you write me even a paragraph or two of the CBC comedy experience that I will fold into my Johnson blurbs? Because you like, you were involved in that, I wasn't. I remember it, but I I didn't get. The... It was it was all published on Canada Land. Was it? Mm-hmm. A bunch of us. Because you, Chris Selly, Tristan Hopper. Because uh, every literally, you could not have picked worse people to send this particular plea for mercy to. It was almost as if she had like identified the people who would only find amusement in her pleas for for kindness and contempt. Yeah, it's uh, funny. It was very funny. All right, you want to wrap it here? Yeah. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. All right, folks, a weekend after a long weekend shortened week. I didn't mean to say week so many times there. It just kind of happened. In any case, have an amazing Saturday and Sunday. And we'll be back to talk with you on Election Day in Alberta. Until then, take good care.